Good evening, everybody. Um, that's the God of second chances. That's a hard act to follow, that. Um, but we'll give it our best shot. At least that was reasonably brief, but it was quite clever, wasn't it? Um, guys, we're going to start looking at Jonah. As, 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 been, as you've been alluded to, if you've got your Bibles with you, could you open your passive Bible to Jonah? And while you do that, I might just uh, commit this time to the Lord. Uh, thank you, Lord, so much for what you do for us, the seen and the unseen, Lord. And we pray, Lord, at this time that you'll pour your spirit into us and write your, your word on our hearts yet again. Amen. I think I need a, a beeper. Thanks. So, guys, tonight we, we start going backwards in Jonah. Swimming backwards. It's about as good as I can go swimming backwards. Now, let me um, bore you with the reasons why we're going backwards. Outside of the fact that I know you probably know the story of Jonah, put your hand up if you don't know the story of Jonah. You probably wouldn't be going to, would you? Okay, not after that comment. So, one, I think the story of Jonah we are reasonably familiar with. And two, now, you've got to forgive me, guys. We're going to talk about Mongolia, but it's only going to be for a minute. Well, two minutes. So, let's get this right. What's Mongolia got to do with the Mediterranean where Jonah ended up swimming in for three days? That's, that's inescapable, thank you. <laughs> so, on the right of, of that uh, map, you've got Mongolia. It's about the size of Queensland. And on the left, you've got Tarshish, the two coloured in uh, countries there. Now, in the middle, almost directly in the middle, is Nineveh, where, where um, Jonah's been told to go and speak. Spain is where Jonah heads from Joppa when he's told to go to Tarshish, because Tarshish is on the shores of Spain. So does that give you enough reason for me to think, yeah, Mongolia's involved in this because it's halfway between here and Spain? It's a, it's a stretch, isn't it? Okay, there's another reason. Here's the other reason. We have a Mongolian detour. Now, here's the detour. I was returning from Mongolia. So I'm coming back, so it's good that we do the passage backwards. I'm returning from Mongolia. You fly out of Mongolia and you land in uh, Seoul. You land, land, land in Korea. In what I was advised is the best airport in the world. If it's not the best airport in the world, it's got to be the second best anyway. It's a, it's a really, if you've got to stay over a plate at an airport, it's a nice one. So I was six hours in, in Seoul Airport while, uh, while I was waiting to change planes to, to return home. But that got delayed by about an hour and a half or two hours because of a snowstorm. So I'd gone from minus 35, minus 40 in Mongolia to a heat wave in, in, uh, in South Korea of minus 7. And that, that storm kept the plane on the ground. So I opened my Bible in the duration of while I was waiting, and I opened my Bible to, to Jonah 4, and, and I thought, I wonder what, Lord, wonder what you're doing. So I just sat down and studied my Bible there for however long that was, and that's where this comes from. I started backwards, I was coming home backwards, and I was coming home from where there was the land of second chances, because the fellow on my left, I'm the one in a high-vis coat. I was the only one in Mongolia in a high-vis coat. 
4.5 million people in Mongolia, 1.5 million in the main town, and half a million on the first time I walked down the main street, I was the only one in high vis. So on the left is Itarei, the pastor who, who I talked briefly about last time, two weeks ago, and on my right's another pastor. Now, I didn't tell you much about Itarei, but I want to explain to you just the second chance he had. I didn't tell you much tonight. Here's your opportunity to escape some information you've already heard. Okay, Itarei, the man, the man on the left is the screen on my right in the picture. Um, in about 1993... Mongolia had the Russians just pack up and leave in a heartbeat. Overnight, they left. And as a result of the Russian departure from Mongolia, 70 years of rule, Christians were able to come in. So Itarei, the man on my right there, the man on our left, um, became a Christian. But the problem that Itarei hadn't realised, so he's a young man, he probably would have been in his early 20s at that point. What Itarei didn't realise... His income, his job at that time was brewing bootleg vodka. Now, he didn't give up his job. He just became a Christian and he was a gifted evangelist. But it didn't take too long. We're probably talking four or five years, not, not long, before he started drinking more than he was selling, so to speak. He was in a group of 17 men that all got converted around the same time and I gather they all drank together too. Now, Itarei then ends up somewhere along the line getting married and having a family. And he became quite a, a violent husband and he was often on the streets. By 2000, his wife went to the local judge, or 2001, and said to the local judge, I want a divorce from my husband. This is true. Okay, it, this is in living memory, 2001. We all can remember that date. She went to the local judge in the province that this is in and she said to the judge, I want a divorce for my husband. He says, why? And uh, she says, because he steals from me, he beats me up and he's a drunkard. And the judge says, so? All the husbands are like that. Go home. Which is exactly what she had to do. But in the meantime, Itarei was spending more and more time on the streets. And he actually broke into his house to thieve this thief, uh, whatever it was he wanted from his house. Now, the problem with being on the streets in Mongolia, one, that there's a lot of violence, I gather, around, around alcoholism, and two, it gets really, really cold. So, of, by 2004, of the 17 in this group that started with him, 16 had died. What the police would do at night time, they'd go, they'd scout the streets and they'd put the, the alcoholics in the lockup just so they stayed alive. Now, if they didn't get put in the lockup, they either froze to death or they were beaten up and robbed and then they died. Pretty miserable way. But Itarei, Itarei did not die, although he went through those other privations. By 2004, he knew he needed to get off the Terps. And in, the end result is that he, be, that he did clear himself of the alcohol and he certainly stopped selling the, the vodka and now, on my left, um, on our left here, is Itarei. On, the, on, my, on, on my right, on our right here, is one of the pastors that he led to the Lord, who is now a pastor. So God gave Itarei a second chance, 
and then there's, through Iterate, this other man got a second chance, and the people behind in that photo, and I'll show you another one at the end, are all the product of Iterate getting off the grog, and be, first becoming Christian and then getting off the grog. Does it make sense? God, the God of second chances. So that's why I have this Mongolian detour, because I started to understand, really grasp with, with, a, with, with fresh, uh, fresh thinking, what God was doing in Mongolia was what God was doing here with uh, Jonah in Nineveh. Now, I'm assuming you know the story of Nineveh. Jonah's told to go to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to go. Nineveh, this event happened around 700 BC, and Nineveh became the city of second chances. Now, I've got to give some credit to some of the gentlemen from um, the men's Bible study here on Thursday. They're sitting here. I'm not going to name names, but I've pinched some information. If you hear information pinched from, from you, I humbly admit that it came from you without embarrassing your name, Ian or Will. So here goes. Guys, it was at this point in time that the, that the Israelites had been taken over by the Assyrians. Now, the Israelites and the Assyrians did not get on as a result, and the Assyrians were known as a brutal nation. Now, that's why Jonah would have been so antagonistic towards going to Nineveh, because they were Assyrian. And so Jonah didn't want God to bring grace to a people that had not brought grace to his people. That's what you could speculate, it doesn't say it, but history would seem to support that. Now, Nineveh was destroyed in 612 BC by a Babylonian confederation, and it was then the largest city in the world, as it describes here, and the capital of the Assyrian Empire. So, after the Babylonian, but before the Babylonian Empire was the Assyrian Empire, after the Babylonian Empire came the Persian Empire in the histories of empires, put it together. Now, and it was known for its wickedness. Now, that's recorded in here. For posterity, Nineveh was a town known for its wickedness. I don't know what's going to happen when I hand my knife and fork in, but I don't want, I don't want on my headstone written known for his wickedness. It's not a nice way to have your character summed up. So Nineveh was uh, so wicked. Now, Nineveh remains to this day on the eastern bank of the Tigris River, opposite modern Mosul. Now, you may remember Mosul. It's where the ISIS took it over about 2011 or 2012, didn't they? Uh, and uh, it's been released. But the, there are still ruins of Nineveh there if you're game enough to go to Iraq and have a look. I think I'll take the word of Wikipedia on that one. So, five times, in five, five times in ten verses, five times in ten verses, anger is mentioned. There's a theme running through here. There's an unwise rage upon God from, from Jonah. It seems to me it is even more foolish for those who know God to measure his goodness by the plumb line of anger. But anger is mentioned five, in, five times in ten verses. Every second verse, is, on average, there's a notion of uh, Jonah's anger. Now, all of Nineveh listened to God speak through Jonah, but Jonah wouldn't even accept his own words. There's a little bit of a sense of hypocrisy running through here as well, isn't there? That the Ninevites were willing, and we'll look at that next week, the Ninevites were willing to repent, but Jonah stays angry. He's back at where he was in chapter 1 when the storms blew up. Jonah wants the impossible from God. 
He hopes God will change who he is. Can you get that? God, Jonah hopes God is going to change. And his anger is his conduit to try to bring that change toward God. Because isn't that what anger is? Trying to control another without controlling yourself? I'm losing control of this situation, so I'll arc up and regain control by losing my control. How many times? Just take a reflection for 10 seconds. When has somebody been angry at you because they were just trying to control you? Or when have you got angry at somebody else and, and the purpose of that anger was control? I want to stop you doing this to me. I want you to do that for me. However that rides out. That's the nature of anger, isn't it? Now, so Jonah wants the impossible from God. He hopes that God will change who he is. He is resentful towards God's character. He says in verse 2, uh, he prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was still at home. That is why I was so quick to flee, tar- to flee to Tarshish, because I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding love, and one who relents from sending calamity. He wanted calamity to fall on the 120,000 occupants of Nineveh. He didn't want a God of compassion. So I can humbly say that Jonah is defeated by compassion. It's compassion that will defeat anger. It won't multiply. Jonah has lost because God won through compassion. He hasn't changed God and he hasn't changed himself. But God's compassion wins the day. So Jonah has elevated his value system above God's value system. But compassion defeats vengeance every time. If you're ever thinking about vengeance... If you were pursuing vengeance, I think it was uh, Socrates said, or Gandhi, one of those bright guys, said, um, if you want to pursue a a path of vengeance, dig two graves. He was here digging his own grave. And he seemed willing to want to dig his own grave. So Jonah does not want God as he is, but wants to make God in his own image. Is that not the heartbeat of mankind, to fashion God in his own image, that therefore I have control over my God? And this is becoming more and more um, real in, in the day where we think God's loving, not that he isn't loving, but that therefore he will put up with anything. I've fashioned God in my image, and therefore if he's made in my image, he's going to be the way I want that makes me feel comfortable. Now, I'm not sure if I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I've had a, I think I did tell you, a little bit about an epiphany in my mind about an understanding of God. God, It's as if God's standing behind a, a, a wall and most of God is behind that wall, but part of God protrudes across the wall. Now, I can't see what's behind that wall, but I can see what protrudes what protrudes out of that wall. Therefore, I make my judgments upon what I can see, having no understanding about what I can't see. But God's God's God in his entirety and not just what I see of him. Because if I could grasp all of God, I would be God. How can a finite grasp an infinite? 
And if I was God, we would all be in trouble. If you were God, we still may all be in trouble as well. So Jonah is making opinions about God without knowing all of God. Now, in verse 3, Jonah says, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then in verse 5, Jonah does a runner. Jonah went out and sat down at the place east of the city. Uh, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what, see what would happen to the city. Still hoping that God was going to zap it. Still hoping that God was going to bring, bring calamity on this city. But you know what, guys? Look at verse 4. Between 3 and 5 is verse 4. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Now, this is second guessing. I, I, I admit that. But I reckon Jonah is lucky to get from verse 3 to verse 5. He wanted the God that he didn't like that relents from sending, sending calamity. He wanted the God of compassion to be even alive to be able to walk away to, to the outside of the city. Does that make sense? And he didn't see it. He didn't even see that God was relenting in his own judgment on Jonah. Now, you've got to be careful about what you ask for from God because sometimes you might get it. And he's saying, Lord, I want to die. And Jonah, in his great wisdom, repeats it. Compassion is on no radar when anger is. Anger and compassion are not bed partners. Forgiveness and anger are not bed partners. And anger is a denier of second chances. Remember, if anger is trying to control, your, trying to control another without controlling yourself, you don't want that other person to have a second chance. You want that other person to submit. That's all you're after. Anger is a denier of second chances. It's exactly what Jonah's doing here, denying the Ninevites a second chance. Anger is a conduit of extreme and damaging responses to both self and others. We know that. I don't need to unpack it. It gets worse the more the anger is multiplied. And reason does not impede anger because if reason impeded anger, I would not be crying out to the Lord, take my life. Because it might well happen. Remember, he is the one who has life and death, the power of life and death over us. And that's the problem with anger. Reason does not impede it. Anger flies with little restraint. And Jonah does not change his mind. Now, that's got me puzzled. But anyway... Jonah has a second chance. A second chance at Jonah's second chance. So Jonah is now set, as you continue to read through the narrative, uh, for a very uncomfortable lesson. Now, there are 120,000 people, we're told, in Nineveh, and Jonah goes out and sulks outside the city, as it were. And then the Lord God provides a vine and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head and to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. Once again, the arguments from silence, but there's no evidence there that Jonah was thankful to God for the vine. He was still raging at God. He's too raging at God to actually see the goodness and grace that God had poured into his life just to give him a vine to, uh, to have some shade in the desert. 
But then in verse 7, But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said it would be better for me to die than to live. That's the other refrain that's repeated through here. An angry man is crying out for death. There is no reason to, no, no, no common sense to what he's doing. So, what was most important to Jonah? The 120,000 dwellers in Nineveh or a vine he had no effort, he put in no effort into. What was more important to him? Because a heart is revealed by its lament. He lamented the vine that wanted vengeance against people. Now, there were 120,000 wicked souls, but they were souls. They were people made in the image of God. But his care was for a vine that lasted 24 hours. The heart is revealed in what it laments. That's worth a reflection on things that make you sad as well as make you happy. Now, what I want to do, could you turn the back of your Bible to Revelation 9? So Jonah had no, no, had, had no thought of repentance and turning around and saying, God, you've got this right and I need to repent of my thinking to you too. In fact, Jonah ends very abruptly. I'd love to know what happens after God has his uh, last comment with, with Jonah, but God doesn't tell us. Now, in Revelation chapter 9, it's a series of God's judgments coming upon the earth. And then there's a little conclusion which is quite startling, particularly if, you're, if you don't want to follow Jesus. <clears throat> but it's startling to believers anyway. Verse 20 of Revelation 9, remember God's brought judgment for, through the trumpets and plagues upon the earth. Then in verse 20, uh, John writes, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Is there any echo there? Jonah was not repenting. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Or walk. Nor did they repent of their, of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. Got to ask the question, and we'll look at this further next week in chapter 3. What's it take to get somebody to repent? At what point do you say, I've had enough hardship that I want to reach out to the Lord? He who is suffering is done with sin, tells me 1 Peter 4. He has suffered, is done with sin. Now Jonah had suffered, he'd been in the belly of a great fish. He must have got seasick in the storm. He'd walked through Nineveh for three days and he's sitting out now in the burning heat. And he still hasn't got to the point of coming before the Lord saying, oh, gee Lord, I got that wrong. But there's nothing, unu- uh, nothing new or unusual in that act of Jonah because God's prophesying here and it's happening today with the terrors that are upon his world. People still are not turning to the Lord. They're refusing to repent and they're shaking their fist at him. Even if they don't do it literally, they're certainly doing it in their hearts. I don't want to have anything to do with God. We're going to talk about a lot more about that in, the, in my last message here when we talk about the pedestal of love. So back to Jonah. Jonah had failed to notice he too was first offered a second chance. 
instead of being fish food in the, in the middle of the Mediterranean, in the middle of a boiling Mediterranean, God sent him an underwater taxi, didn't he? A submarine taxi. That was his first chance. Now Jonah gets a second chance. He didn't get zapped, did he? Jonah failed to notice he too was offered a second chance and I wonder if he was offered a third chance in verse 4. In the, uh, along from the boiling Mediterranean. He missed grace. Grace is easy to miss. That's the sad part of grace. Grace can be cheap. And he talks about it in chapter 2. He talks about people that fall for grace. Now, if you're a mum and dad, don't answer this question, particularly if, you, if your son or your daughter's here. How many times have you done something for them that they didn't even understand you did it? And that you didn't even get thanks for it. It was taken for granted at best. Now, if you're a son or a daughter, how many times have you done something for somebody else? Maybe your mum and dad, but unlikely. That's not true. Where you've done something that you didn't need to do, but it was an act of kindness and you weren't, it wasn't appreciated. They missed your act of kindness. That's the forfeiting of grace. Now, that's hard, isn't it? Jonah forfeited the grace that God had given or was trying to forfeit the grace that God had given him. But the Ninevites, the wicked people, didn't. The Israelite did. So it's easy to refuse. Sorry, next, uh, next slide. It's easy to refuse to offer the second chance or even receive it. I don't want to give grace. Jonah didn't want to. He's full of anger. He's full of pride. Pride is the blockage to the giving of grace. Pride is the blockage to the giving of a second chance. Pride is the blockage to quelling anger. Even if you're being shown that you're wrong in your anger, you escalate the anger because you don't want to be proved wrong. They're enemies. Grace and pride are enemies. Pride is a blockage. Jonah found death preferable to success. Oh, how anger clouds judgment. It is God's right and he makes it clear that to offer second chances. Now, please note that when I was in Mongolia, the two common religions in Mongolia when the Russians were around, Christianity was, was almost non-existent. Buddhism was really, really hammered and there was still shamanism. But, you know, being communist, they, they tried to wipe all religion out. Now, communism nearly killed Buddhism because it killed one-third of all males in Mongolia because one-third were Buddhist priests. But the other big religion in Mongolia is shamanism, it's witchcraft. That's the worship of the dead. Now, what God's done through Christianity coming to Mongolia, is given everybody a second chance that he is at this stage and to worship he who is living and not worship the dead. Dead can't rise, they can't save you, but he who is alive can. So those who worship the dead are now offered a second chance. When life seems unfair and you are tempted to raise the fist to God, note that as with Jonah, 
God's intentions are far higher than my judgments. So I go back to that little image of God show revealing a bit of himself past the wall. I can't see his intentions that are behind that screen. I can only see the little bit that sticks out. But I make judgments about God when I can't see him. I have to trust that God's judgments are far higher than my judgments. His intentions are far better than my judgments. Even if it looks like it got, God got it wrong. I think there are many Christians in this world that might think that God got it wrong with Donald Trump in America. Now, why would that happen? I don't know. I'm not a political person. But he does seem to be the brunt of a bit of of humour, doesn't he? And he doesn't necessarily seem to be wise with his mouth. But God's got intentions that are far higher than we can judge. So, tie it all together. Finally. I don't doubt that God truly loved Jonah, but even after three days in the great fish and the most successful evangelism in history, Jonah did not return the favour and love God. Now, most of you would have heard of Billy Graham, probably the world's best evangelist. Him and Reinhard Bonnke, I guess. Men with outstanding reach for the good Lord. Billy Graham's average at his, uh, at his meetings, at his rallies, he gets a 4% response rate. 4%, that's pretty darn good. Nobody else seems to get a 4% response rate of people going out the front and praying the prayer to become Christians. Jonah got a 100% response rate. They all bent the knee. He's going to be the greatest evangelist in history, but he still hadn't learned to love God. We have all accepted God's second chances. Let us too practice offering second chances to others. Pride's the blockage, remember. Redemption in whatever circumstances in whatever circumstances be, be they large or small, is never dependent upon worthiness. So the fact that so-and-so is not worth a second chance from you is irrelevant. The issue is never worthiness. Nineveh is still known for its wickedness. It wasn't about their worthiness to be, uh, to be rescued, but it's about God's love bound in grace and mercy. That's why we do it, because we want to reflect the good Lord. Refuse to judge those that God asks you to speak of. We're ever only the messenger of a higher purpose. Now, please indulge me just one last time. I'm going to try really hard not to mention Mongolia for the next four weeks. Okay, there's the God of second chances. Now that church, that's the Gare Church, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. The Gare Church probably had 30 people there. The township is 2,000. They got 1% going to church. How many in Richmond? What's the population of Richmond? 25,000, 30,000? I don't know. But we don't have 1% of the population coming to church, do we? They got 1% going to, going to church. That was minus 25 when that was taken. In the middle of the day, that's the warmest part of the day, it's minus 25. And they got 1%, over 1% of the township coming to this little tent. So there's 30 odd people there, probably half a dozen families. I don't know, I can't tell you that. But you can see the congregation gathered there. Because God's the God of second chances. Anywhere he'll give you second chances. He has a higher... He has a higher purpose. Now, guys, 
God's second chances are present anywhere, anytime, even when it's minus 34. You've seen that one. I love that slide. Please forgive me for my indulgence. Anywhere, anytime, God is a God of second chances. Now, I don't know, you might like to have a second chance today. Please come and talk to me. Come and talk to another Christian here. You might want to bring your life towards God and say, gee, Lord, I don't want to do what Jonah did. I don't want to stay in anger. I don't want to stay in resentment. I don't want to stay in vengeance. I just want you, Lord, and I want your forgiveness. You might want to be the God, be the person that takes a second chance. You might want to be a person that gives a second chance. But guys, God's the God of second chances. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you that you touched my heart and soul with these second chances. Thank you, Lord, that you touched those hearts far away from us. And I pray, Lord, that you'll touch our hearts tonight in whatever it means in each one of our hearts to worship the God of second chances. Amen.